the person that we're celebrating this season. And we confess and profess that you are the king of the universe. There's no rival. There's no equal. There's no one greater. You are the king of kings and Lord of lords. And as we look at all the the machinations of humankind and governments and, and organizations and corporations and people that are trying to demonstrate they are the most powerful. They are the, the, the beginning and end of everything. They aren't. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. And I pray, God, as we worship you, that God, Jesus, that you would build our confidence in you unrivaled, unequaled, and that, that our focus would not be on circumstances that we see around us, but it would be focused on you, the living God. And I pray as we move forward and we've worshipped you and connected with you personally, we've celebrated your coming, talking about the joy, the candle of joy. I pray that your joy would be preeminent here today and that your life-changing word would change our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the year 1492... Excuse me. A man said, I'm going to sail across the sea and I'm going to discover a new world. He was told, that's impossible. You'll fall off the edge of the earth. His reply, nothing is impossible. His name, Christopher Columbus. In the year 1876, a man said, I'm going to make a device and I will speak into it. And what I say will travel over hundreds of miles of copper wires. And someone on the other end will hear what I say. The reply, that's impossible. It's never been done before. His reply, nothing is impossible. His name, Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. I was going to say cell phone, but it's a telephone. In 1894, an inventor said, I have invented a carriage that will go forward by itself without horses to pull it. That's impossible, everyone said. His reply, nothing is impossible. His name, Carl Benz, the inventor of the automobile. In 1903, two brothers said, in this machine, we will be able to fulfill man's greatest desire, the desire to fly. The reply, that's impossible. If man was meant to fly, he would have been born with wings. And the reply was, nothing is impossible. Who were these brothers? They were the Wright brothers, the inventors of the first airplane. Nothing is impossible. Throughout history, time after time, men and women have rolled back the curtain of the impossible in the face of skeptics to prove that nothing is impossible. As we close out 2022 and approach the new year, 2023, I want to take some time this morning to look at one part of the Christmas story that talks about nothing is impossible. Today we're going to eavesdrop on an intimate encounter 
to listen to a private conversation between two persons, a teenage Jewish girl and an angel named Gabriel. Gabriel brings a troubling prospect of being pregnant while not married, but only engaged. Who is going to believe the best? I'd like us to join them and discover why the angel Gabriel says nothing is impossible with God. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke 1. Luke, the first chapter. It's on page 830 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, where you can watch it on the projection as well. Luke 1, starting with verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This part of the Christmas story disturbs some people. How can a virgin conceive? How how can she have a baby? Well, as scientists have made advances in understanding of the human processes, they have reached the point that humans can not only practice artificial insemination, but even clone some species. If human scientists can do that much, why would it be beyond the stretch of our imagination that the intelligent designer or the creator can intervene in the natural process in a supernatural way. Now, this sermon is not intended to be an apologetic or defense of the scientific probability of a virgin birth. Neither is this an exposition on the necessity of the incarnation to our eternal destiny. It's very important that we understand that Jesus was and is God. His origin came from God. What I want to do today is look at how God took an ordinary teenage Jewish girl and did the impossible. And then, if God can do the impossible through someone like Mary, can he do something through me? Or am I valuable enough to God that he cares to use me for anything special? And as, as we look at this story, don't ask the question, what can God do for me? Ask, what can God do through me? What can God do through me? The impossible was accomplished not through human ingenuity or invention. It was not through the hard work or scientific research or experimentation. 
God does what he so often does. He takes the ordinary and does the extraordinary. God does this through Mary for the benefit of the entire world. Six keys to the impossible. What can we learn from this? The first key is bring your ordinary to God. Bring your ordinary to God. Mary was an ordinary young Jewish teenager, a woman engaged to be married, just like many of her friends. Mary didn't have supernatural power of her own. She was not a superhero. Her specialness did not come from within herself. Her specialness came as a result of someone outside of herself. It's God who made her special. It was God who gave her value. It was God who made her special. And in verse 28 it says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I have a friend who likes to restore antique cars. And he called me one day and told me he was driving to Pennsylvania to pick up an antique car called a Morgan. We were in Iowa at the time, but still, Iowa to Pennsylvania, that's a long drive. And I thought, wow, he must place a lot of value on this car. This car must be really, really special. Well, he arrived back in town, and he invited me over to see this incredible antique car he purchased. And I was shocked. On the back of his trailer was a pile of rusty pieces of junk. I said, he drove to Pennsylvania for that? I saw absolutely no value in all those pieces of junk. But he did. He did. He saw what it could become. And slowly, over a three-year period, he rebuilt that car. Finally, after all this time had passed, he invited me to come over again to see this antique car. I walked, a little skeptical, into his garage And in dramatic fashion, he pulled the cover off and unveiled a beautiful, bright red convertible sports car, a Morgan. It was a classic. Well, Mary, in our story, in and of herself, may not have felt very special. Her unique value came from the fact that God valued her. God was with her. It was in her relationship with God that Mary discovered her uniqueness, value, and her specialness. Now, you may be here this morning and feel like that original Morgan, that that pile of rusty pieces of junk. No value, beyond ordinary, worthless. And you look at your life or people look at your life and say, they're never going to amount to anything. But know this, God values you exactly as you are. And God sees what you can become. And no matter how junked up our life is right now, God values us and he knows what we can actually be, what we can become. God asks us to bring him our lives, our pain, our brokenness, our failures, our embarrassments, our rusty, junk-filled lives, so he can do something special, something Impossible. The first step in nothing is impossible is is to bring our ordinary to God who values us just as we are. Then we discover in relationship with God our uniqueness, our, our value, and our specialness. And you'll drive away one day a beautiful 
red sports car. Mary was ordinary. We are ordinary. God does the impossible through the ordinary. The second key to the impossible is to establish and keep a right relationship with God. Establish and keep a right relationship with God. He said, the Lord is with you. Mary had this unhindered relationship with God. She was a clean vessel. She was a pure instrument. She was righteous, which meant she was in right relationship with God. Right relationship with God. Righteous means in right relationship. Not perfect. If we have to be perfect first, then none of us will be able to experience God's impossible. But she was in right relationship with God. She was pure. Working my way through college, like many of you, I had various jobs. I listed them one day and I thought, man, I did all that. You probably had the same experience. One of my jobs that I had working my way through college was as an orderly. And one task I had as an orderly was to operate a sterilizer, sterilizing machine. I'm sure it's probably different today, probably very different than what it was then. Medical instruments would be washed and cleaned, but before they could be reused, they would need to be wrapped up in sterile cloths and put into the sterilizer, which would heat them to such a high temperature to kill any bacteria, germs, or organisms. See, a surgeon in a hospital will only use sterile instruments. If the instruments are not sterilized, it can cause contamination, disease, or infection. Well, in the same way, God wants to use us as instruments of his use. But he will not use unclean instruments. He wants to do the impossible, but he wants to be clean first, a clean vessel. And God wants to remove the impurities, the obstacles that we have to relationship with God. And he calls us into right relationship with God. Are we clean instruments God can use? Or are we polluted by the world around us? And I'm not saying perfect. We're not perfect. But there is a sterilization or a cleaning process that happens in our life, in our relationship with God. What is that? Well, what happens if I sin or when I sin? Because we are all going to sin. Okay, say that. Can God use me if I'm a sinner? Can God use me if I sin? I hope so, because we're all sinners, and we all sin daily. So how do we get clean so God can use us? How do we get clean so God can use us? How do we establish and continue that relationship with God? 1 John 1, 8 to 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Which means we all sin, okay? We're all sinners. But then he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're all in the same boat. He says, we all, we all sin. So how do, we, how do we get cleaned up? He says, confess your sin. Confess means to agree with God and say, I agree that I did something wrong. I agree I sinned. I've done something wrong. And it, then we ask for forgiveness. I've used this illustration numbers of times. It's called, somebody called it spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing. When we breathe, we breathe out the carbon dioxide. That's, that's the bad stuff. And we breathe in the oxygen. And as we go through the day, we breathe out and we breathe in. Same thing. And, and we're purified. In the same way, 
Our breathing out is to confess. Say, God, I'm going to breathe out. This is what I've done. I've sinned. And we breathe it out. And then we appropriate his forgiveness by breathing in or receiving that forgiveness. It's a continuous process. We sin and we confess and we ask for forgiveness and receive his forgiveness. And just like we breathe a lot every day, we may need to confess a lot every day. Okay? That's who we are. If we don't breathe, the carbon dioxide will kill us. If we don't confess sin, sin will kill us spiritually. And as soon as we become aware of a sin, we confess it and say, God, I agree, I sin. We breathe it out and we appropriate that forgiveness. This keeps our relationship with God unhindered, open. It keeps it pure. Pure. Now, who, to whom do we confess? Who do we confess to? Well, 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We confess our sins to Jesus. He's the mediator that we confess our sins to. Now, it's not that we can earn our right standing before God. We can't earn the right to be used by God. When we confess and receive forgiveness, God attributes the righteousness of Jesus to us and sees us as pure and sinlessly perfect. It's a great deal. It's a great deal. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. We confess our sins. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we're pure. We have this unhindered relationship with God. We stand before God as a clean instrument to be used. Do you have an impossible? Do you want God to establish and accomplish the impossible? Establish and keep a right relationship with God. Something that's a constant, constant thing. Thirdly, third key to the impossible is be open to the extraordinary. Be open to the extraordinary. Mary was open to the extraordinary. She was a virgin that was going to conceive and have a baby. And I can imagine, God, you're going to do what? What what are people going to think? What is my fiancé going to think? Put put yourselves in her position. What is Joseph going to think? Well, his first reaction was to put her away quietly and get, get rid of her. What will my parents think? It's never happened this way before. Um, I, God, I have a better idea. Let me, let, let's try this. Okay? I don't think we can imagine the extent of how scandalous this was. We hear it so often and we take it for granted. It's part of the main part of theology, the incarnation, the virgin birth. God was the father. Mary was the mother. And going through Jesus' life, Jesus lived with this. I don't know if you realize this. Jesus lived with this scandal his entire life. When you go to 1 John 8, 1 John 8 is where they were talking about who his father was. They still accused him of being an illegitimate child. Read 1 John 8. They said, we don't know who your father is. Well, that was something he had to live with. This is extraordinary stuff. God, in his sovereignty and power, was going to intervene in the normal, natural human process and was going to do the unusual. He was going to do the unorthodox. Mary, the human mother, God, the supernatural father. Therefore, Jesus was called the son of God. Man God, God becoming man. This was the incarnation. And Mary, Mary was open to the extraordinary. Did you know 
that the commissioner of the U.S. Patent Office, there's a U.S. Patent Office, and the head of that proposed to Congress that the Patent Office be closed. He said, the Patent Office needs to be closed. He, they said, why? He said, because everything that needed to be invented is already invented. It's already been made. The year 1895. We've seen just a few extraordinary inventions since 1895. You know, God can do the impossible, the extraordinary, when we're open to God. Open to the extraordinary. God is in the business of doing the extraordinary. Extraordinary. Many of you can talk about and share, if we had time this morning, things that God has done, intervention, impossible answers to prayer, things that God has done in your life and the life of your families. You go back and you look at your life and you say, wow, you know, every answer to prayer is extraordinary. It's impossible. It's, it's something that God has done. And if you think about every prayer that you've prayed and how God has answered, it's extraordinary. Are you open to that? Now, Mary is open to the extraordinary, but she still asked honest questions. The fourth key to the impossible is ask God questions. Ask God questions. Mary said in verse 34, she said, how will this be since I am a virgin? You know, God doesn't mind it when we ask questions. He doesn't mind if we ask questions. Um, God doesn't mind it when we complain even to him. I mean, read the book of Job. I'm, I'm in the book of Job. I, I, I'm not crazy about the book of Job, but it's in my regular sequence of Bible reading. And right now I'm reading from, from uh, Job as my prophet part of the of the book and it's like uh, or the and it's, it's like i don't really like the book of job but he asks he asks hard questions and god doesn't always answer but he asks tough questions read the book of psalms david asking tough questions some of those are imprecatory psalms or complaints psalms of complaint yeah god can handle it okay if you need to complain ask questions whatever and sometimes we need to ask those questions. He's not insulted. You can say, God, according to my understanding, this is impossible. That's what she was saying. How in the world could this be? This is impossible. And we may ask that question to God. It's impossible, Lord. How can I stay in this marriage? How can I beat this depression? It's impossible for us to make it financially. It's impossible to have victory over pornography. It's impossible to understand my teenager or my parents. It's impossible for my spouse to find Christ, or my dad, or my mom, or my child, or grandson. It's impossible for us to have a baby. Asking honest questions. According to my understanding, how can this be? How can it be possible? God is the God of the impossible. In fact, if it's not impossible, it's not for God. That's when we need it need God. If we can do it ourselves, why would we need God? Ask honest questions. And God may not answer immediately, but in the process of asking honest questions, many times we discover the answers. The fifth key to the possible, impossible, fifth key, believe that God is to be trusted. Believe that God is to be trusted. Mary trusted God. Now, Mary didn't understand she didn't understand. 
I don't know how many times we've come to God and we say, I, I, I don't understand. But she said this, may it be to me as you have said. Or God, whatever you want to do is fine with me. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. Trusting God. Have you ever noticed how trusting a little child is? As we hold them, they lean, they fall over, they twist, they turn. They'll jump off anything into our arms. Doesn't matter how high it is. They, they, they trust we're going to catch them. We give them medicine and they just trust you. They, they take it. They know that what you have is best for them. They trust. Even though they don't, don't understand. God calls on us to trust him. Even though we don't always understand. In Matthew 18.3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Until you become like little children, it takes childlike faith to trust God. Until you become like little children. Simple childlike trust. That's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. That's how we are born again. We become children of God. And that same childlike faith is how we are called, not only to be born again, but also to live. We're called to live that way. Trust in God. Nothing is impossible. God calls us to trust. And the sixth key to nothing is impossible is make yourself available to God. Make yourself available to God. Mary was available. This is much more than, I got an opening in my schedule. That's not what we're talking about. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. She says, God, I belong to you. I am at your disposal to do what you want. She says, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. There's a deep cry in our hearts, each and every one of us. It's a cry for significance. Significance. To be used of God. We were created with that desire built in. To be connected intimately with our creator and find our significance in the relationship with him, in our service for him. That's where our significance is found. Service for God. And of course, I don't know about you, when we do that, then God's in charge. And I don't know if you have that same thing. Am I in charge here or is God? And I, I would imagine I'm not the only one that has that battle every day. Nothing is impossible to God through a person who's willing and obedient, totally committed for his purposes. Many will never experience the supernatural power of God because they're unwilling to be obedient or they want to maintain control themselves. And God will not violate your free will. He can do anything, but he will not violate your free will. He'll never decide for you. Someone once said the most important ability is availability. God has taken the weak to confound the strong, the foolish to confound the wise. God has used some of the most unlikely people to do great things, impossible things, simply because they were available. But you go through the historical record in the Bible. You take Rahab, who was a prostitute. You have Gideon, who was a coward. 
First time we see read about Gideon, he was hiding. <laughs> he was hiding. There was Esther, a Jewish girl. She was a beauty pageant winner. We go, how superficial. Why would God use it? No, he used Esther, who was a beauty pageant winner. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter, a fisherman. Paul was a persecuted Christian. You, you can go on and on. You look at the people that God used in the biblical record. We go, wow. They were available. They said, okay, God, take me. Do, do what you want to do with me. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. This is the organization we see very visibly, especially during the Christmas season. The red kettles, the bell ringers, all of that. The Salvation Army has done more to feed the hungry, clothe, and help the poor than any organization worldwide. It's done more than anybody. And when William Booth was asked the secret of his success, he was a, he was a founder, he said, I'll tell you the secret. He said, God has had all of me. God has had all of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. Make yourself available to God. All of me for the impossible. Does God have all of you? Through this ordinary, good, open, honest, trusting, and available Jewish teenager came the person named Jesus. He was called great. He was called the Son of God. He was the king over an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And as we sit here in Eau Claire, at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, we are recipients and part of that legacy. We're carrying that forward. That's, that's us. We are part of the legacy of Mary saying yes to the impossible. The impossible made possible. And by the way, if you are a teenager, 20-something, don't let anybody tell you that you're too young or too inexperienced for God to do the impossible. Every move of God, every revival in history was started by teens and 20-somethings. Somehow youth are just foolish enough to believe God said what he meant and meant what he said because nothing's impossible with God. Well, for all of us, no matter what we're facing in the year ahead, some things we know are happening, some things we know are going to happen, some things we don't know, unknown. The one fact that we can rest on, on the Word of God, with God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you use ordinary people to accomplish your work. And God, we come to you today as ordinary people to say, help us to understand who we are and finding our significance in our relationship with you. And Father, if there's anybody here that does not have that relationship, that they today would be able to acknowledge that you are the God of the universe, that you love us, you died for us, you came to forgive us our sins and to give us new life. And all we are called to do is invite you to come into our lives to receive you as our Lord and Savior. 
And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would do through us as families, as people here in this city and part of this church, that you would do the impossible. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's